that sound fun? Yeah, absolutely. Sweet. All right, we're recording already. What do you, what do you, uh, what do you, what are you drinking? I am drinking water. Yes. Um, last week we worked out really hard. We got a couple of kayaks and we started kayaking. We went out on the water like four times last week. So I am exhausted and every part of my body hurts. And I got one of those little cuts on the bottom of my foot that you used to get as a kid if you were in the pool too much. You know? <laughs> yeah. I got one of those. And so I haven't been able to run for a couple of days. Dude. And it's just like, I'm a mess, man. I'm check a mess. Out, check out the scar that I have on my leg. Hell, dude, what is that? Uh, so my dad and I are putting a deck together on the back of his house. Yeah, so and that's, that's huge. I was we're walking across the top of the deck, and it's at the point now where we have two by fours straight up and down. Mm-hmm. And we have like 40 of them aligned at the deck to put our actual flat pieces of the deck on there. Mm-hmm. And so I was walking on those, and um, we had somebody out to clean our central, central air system and our heat and that kind of stuff. And so mm-hmm. he... Uh, he stumbled across a uh, hornet's nest or a yellow jacket nest in our AC unit outside our house, which is right by the deck. So Whoa. it spread up a bunch of yellow jackets. So I went and got the yellow jacket like spray and I was foaming everybody and like trolling all of it. And as I was helping my dad out, passing him something, I was walking over to give him like a hammer or something. And I pull and I saw there was a yellow jacket next to him. I was like, OK, I want to get that as but I want to make sure I don't it doesn't move. As I am walking towards it, I look at the yellow jack and then stop looking at the boards underneath my feet. And that's where the issue happened. If I'm Oops. looking at the boards, I'm good. If I'm not, um, I misstepped and I slipped between two of them. And I have like a big bruise on my sh- like big bruise here. And my legs are all cut up. And it was not the first time I fell. The day before that, we didn't have those up. And we had like loose blocks in there. And I accidentally stepped on one of those and fell. So long story short, I'm not walking on those anymore when I, yeah. uh, <laughs> when I do. I'm not... I'm not athletic enough anymore. It's it's over. I've lost <laughs> it. So, but uh, that story was brought to you by Building Decks. But this is Infinite Pulp, and we are brought to you by... Um, today we're brought to you by Pompero Anniversario. Ah, uh, yes. The rum, thankfully, is not gone yet. The rum is not gone. No, there is barely any left because I had a fun time last weekend just enjoying... Jack and Cokes, not Jack and Cokes, but, you know, like I had a little bit of rum and Coke. I had a little, you know, you know, rum without anything in it. Put some nice in there. I wanted to try it all these different ways. I had yesterday, I had a little rum and Mountain Dew. Did you do some I dark and stormies? Think, yeah, it's so good, man. It's just, it's just great. Good. So I'm enjoying that. But um, who do we have today? I'm excited because um, last week. I believe uh, maybe a few weeks ago we were missing you a little bit and we had to have Adam come on and guest host. Yeah. But we have you back. Max I is am. back. He's it's here. It's me. It's me. I am here. I can do this. Yay. Yeah. I'm excited to have you back. It's been a few weeks since we've been able to get together and talk about that. Just with different schedules going on. My little brother had a wedding. I recorded a couple different episodes that didn't have you on it. So just, you know, it's good to be like kind of like, OK, we're in we're in the groove again. You know, yeah. We're, back we're to back our roots. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> So with that, I'm going to cheers to you with some Pompero and then get into a few things I have before we get into our topic. Cheers. Um, because I'm excited. I won't actually cheers you because I'm just drinking water and apparently that's bad luck and I wouldn't want to bring bad luck on either of us. Yeah. I've had we people wanna... tell me before that if you cheers with water, the drink you cheers with is also cursed and so that cannot be consumed. So oh, okay. like if you if you have water and you cheer someone, not only are you bringing bad luck on yourself, but you're like trying to curse them. So okay. it's a it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's 
Just something to be aware That's of. That's a good call. I'm, I'm excited that... I'm glad you didn't cheers me. I, I'm... Uh, we can't have any more bad luck today. No. No, I had an interview today that actually went pretty well. Yay! Um, so that was really exciting. And I have another... Dude, so here's what happened. I'm on LinkedIn. Pop, pop, pop. Doing my typing. Getting all that stuff going on. I get a message that pops up. Boop. And it's somebody from Hawaiian Airlines. And they're like, so I know you understand that airlines are probably going bad right now. But we're actually kind of staying still. Maybe growing a little bit. And we need somebody to be our leaves case manager. And we're thinking huh. about, you know, are you interested in that role? And I was like, well, yeah, I kind of am. Somebody reached out to me, looks at my resume, and, you know, pursues me. I'm, I'm definitely going to talk to him. The job is in Hawaii, though. I would have uh, to move to Hawaii. So I'm talking with the recruiter on Monday and just being like, what's kind of relocation package looking at? What's the salary looking at? Because these are all things I need to, like, really think about before I even consider trying to like yeah. go through the interview process of this role. Yeah, moving to the middle of the Pacific Ocean is not a decision you take lightly, especially no. as someone who appreciates um, consuming like novelty items, like new cereals and things like that. Like a box yeah. of cereal over there is like what eight dollars. It's it's very high because obviously they have to travel so far to get there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, I I'm gonna hear her out. You know, you got to hear out the job. Got to like go in and it's just if ex- experience talking to people about roles, if nothing else. So. Mm-hmm. Definitely. That, that's always a good, a good, good thing. Um, but besides that, job things are going well. Are you, are you still looking for different types of work and stuff? How's that yeah, going? Everything I am for hunting you? around. I continue to be unemployed. I'm trying to find work that is not going to kill me. You know, I'm trying to be yep. really hyper responsible about it. I can't afford to bring it home because my fiance can't afford to get it. Like, um, cause she works and she works with vulnerable populations and like if, and she's our primary income right now. So if she gets sick and, or gets other people sick, it just goes real bad, real fast. So yeah. I need to find something responsible. So I'm, I'm looking into actually, um, what's it called? It's like data tracking, um, for coronavirus basically where you can work remotely and, sort of call people and chat with them about where they've been and what they're doing in an attempt to kind of map out the, um, the, the, the areas where it is affecting people and sort of where they've been and what they've done, kind of trying to reverse map what the yeah. outbreak looks That's like. That's such important work, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's good. Good. I'm, we're going to keep updated on you with how that's going. Cause I'm interested. And with my job too, for sure. We'll both, uh, we'll both look for, Gainful employment and better lives so we can podcast for fun and not worry about anything else. Yay. Yep. That's what we want to do. <laughs> um, so, man, I have a few things for you today. I, I want to touch a little bit on Dragon Ball because I've just been consuming Dragon Ball Z lately. Just like no, nobody's business. How Every far into the series are you? Um, I, let me tell you what happened. And it just gets me so excited. Uh, by the way, we are considering doing a kind of separate, maybe included in the series if we give people enough time. I have some friend who really is interested in this. They kind of want to do a Dragon Ball Z episode. Mm-hmm. And we're I'm, I'm not sure if I want to do an episode on each saga or if I want to do an episode on like the whole show. And we just break down each saga and talk about our favorites and kind of stuff. That'd be a really <laughs> long episode. Yes. But... I'm, I'm happy doing either one because I'm already past two sagas. And so, well, a saga and a half, really. But guess who just showed up and is now my favorite character of all time? Well, the last thing I heard you talking about was Frieza. So I'm assuming you're into the Cell Saga now. No, before that. Because 
Because at least in the, the continuation I have, the Cell Saga happens after the Android Saga. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I forget that the androids are a saga to the, unto themselves. Yeah. So uh, who? I'm watching it, and Frieza and King Cold, great names, by the way, mm-hmm. come rolling into Earth and land, and they send out their men, and the next scene you see is just their men falling down in pieces. And who's <laughs> above them but future Trunks? And I know who Trunks is, and you don't know in the episode yet who he is, but like it's been old. I, I've watched these. I, I know I know who he is, but I've never like watched them in order. Man, he is awesome. He's just like by far right now my favorite character. Just yeah, shows he, up and wipes out everybody so easily. Just like this is the kind of power that you can have. You guys struggled with these guys a little bit, and I'm just gonna I, in, in in ten minutes he. He kills King Cold, Frieza, everybody. It's just incredible. And so I now am researching a bunch of different Trunks merchandise and trying to figure <laughs> out if, if, if I can get that capsule core uh, jacket, jacket with like the pockets on it because yeah. it's really cool. It's ridiculous. I love it. So, yeah, Future Trunks, now my favorite character. It was Goku for a long time, but I have now switched over to, uh, to Future Trunks, at yeah. least at this point. We'll see what happens with real Trunks. Future Trunks doesn't have much of a sense of humor. That's one of the biggest reasons I, w- I was never as infatuated with yeah. him as other people were. He's just very, like, he's very stoic. Oh, and yeah. I, to be fair, he's got, like, more trauma than anybody, right? I mean, he comes from a world that was destroyed. So, I mean, yeah. he's allowed to be stoic. But, you know, it's a miracle I mean, he doesn't break down and cry more. Knowing uh, who his father is, I'm surprised yeah. he's turned out, like, as, as non, like angry as he is you know well, and like, that's why it's important to remember who his mother is right like yes like, yes exactly it does matter yeah and the fact that like knowing that i think added to the scenes for me is because like you can just see him sitting the same way as vegeta you can see him kind of mm-hmm. like staring during those episodes and it was just yeah. man it, it was so awesome it, it's it's really starting to take off and I'm really, really starting to enjoy it. Like it's, it's great. So I stopped at the end of the three year period between when Trunks shows up and they're supposed to start fighting the androids. Mm-hmm. And so that's like the next step I have in the series is going through the whole Android saga. And man, I've been starting Dragon Ball Z at like nine, nine, nine thirty at night. And so there was one night that I started watching it at like nine o'clock and I stopped watching it at like four. Wow. <laughs> it's like, I cannot get enough of it. It's so great to me. So um, it's definitely if we ever did a re- rehash of top top ten favorite cartoons, I'd seriously consider throwing this on uh, on on the top ten for sure. And so <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited about that. That was my Dragon Ball Z content I wanted to have for you. Let's get into. Um, you have anything that you want to have? Sure. Are you watching anything? Are you playing any games? You know, anything new in your life besides your kayaks that it's exciting? Not particularly. Um, I have anything good to eat lately. Back into Final Fantasy 14. Um, that's a lot of fun. I think they've done the MMO genre really well in that game. Um, I finally finished out maxing all my characters in Battlefront 2, which was a blast. Like learning all the heroes was so fun. Um and what else am I doing? Um, that's mostly it. I'm trying to kind of like keep up to speed on a lot of things going on in the world, trying to inform myself. Um, and, you know, just like trying to stay sane and trying to figure out who I want to be. Typical yep. typical me stuff. Same story that's, that you've heard for the last couple of months now. Yep. That sounds sounds like everybody right now. I'm yeah. going through the exact same process. Narrowing um, down my search for a therapist, though. That's that's a big cool. thing. I've that got is like awesome. two finalists. I'm trying. I'm going to have a session with each of them and see which one feels 
healthier not because my struggle right now is do i go with the one that's more comfortable or do i go with the one that's healthier you know right so it's a trade-off yeah yeah Yeah, i don't have any good good advice on that one at all but that you got to follow your heart you know (laughs) i do thank you for being supportive of that (laughs) um yeah cool man have you guys eaten anything good lately what's your what's your kind of main diet so we do a lot of cooking at home um I do a lot of cooking at home. Uh, Elizabeth doesn't really cook, and I'm fine with that. I love to cook. I enjoy it. Same. Um, I made a giant crock pot of, like, Asian-style chicken about a week ago that was delicious. Um, I'm gearing up to do spaghetti again. Spaghetti is our staple. Elizabeth has a garden out front that she cares for, so we've got, like, fresh basil and oregano, and she's growing tomatoes and stuff, so I'm about to be able to do my own tomato sauce. Um, but I love to do that. Uh, and then I've got a bunch of like frozen stuff in the freezer, but I think the, the tastiest thing I can remember eating recently was probably some rib tips that I seared and then, um, baked with like some barbecue, homemade barbecue sauce. Um, and that was just mind bogglingly good. So awesome. really enjoyed that. Excellent. Um, that what's your do you do you off the top of your head do you have that crock pot recipe available because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very interested in in what i made that it up is. as i went man okay. like the the main ingredients were like the chicken and sesame oil and um rice vinegar and fish fish sauce and oyster sauce yeah 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 and soy sauce and um there was some ginger in there and there was some uh brown sugar and there was um think there was some i went with just like a dash of i didn't want to do any like hot oils or anything because she and i don't really like spicy stuff but i put like a little dash of um cayenne in there that kind of warmed up the whole bowl and gave it just a little bit of flavor you know so that that was it i mostly made it up as i went but it was enjoyable and came out well and there was a ton of it so i froze half of it that's been our big secret it's been like i cook a big thing freeze half of it the other one feeds us for two or three days and then I do that for a couple of weeks. And then for one week, I can just go through and thaw all the stuff I had frozen. And I can basically take a week off cooking every night. It's just really nice. Yeah, that's super awesome. I, um, I've been, my partner and I have been doing bon mi bowls a lot lately because she's mm-hmm. been really into those. And she started to go now more like a little bit vegetarian, mm-hmm. which has been awesome. And so I've been doing um, just standard crock pot chicken, like really just like a maybe a quarter cup of water just with crock with chicken in there and just mm-hmm. kind of get that all no seasoning or anything. Just get it all shredded up and then really simply just throwing that in a little pot or a little pan and putting some soy sauce over the top of that and just kind of frying it, sauteing that a little mm-hmm. bit with a little bit of soy sauce. It just adds that little bit of saltiness to the chicken without too many added calories. Mm-hmm. And I just put that over quinoa. And I'm good, you know, yeah. throw a little sauerkraut in there to have a little bit of vinegar and a little bit of coldness to that. And it's just awesome. Yeah. Uh, I would encourage you. One thing that transformed my crockpot chicken was to brown it beforehand, like sear it right quick in a pan, get some caramelization on there. The flavor was just exponentially okay, better. Okay, cool. Were you searing it with oil or using butter? Uh, I was searing it with oil because to get the sear I wanted would have been past the burn temperature for butter. Perfect. Like, it, but in in general, if you're going to cook at a higher temperature than like medium, you want to go with oil right. instead of butter because yeah, yeah. butter burns so quickly. For sure. Yeah, it's the only time I ever really use butter. Butter is when I'm I'm doing my grilled cheese sandwiches because mm-hmm. I don't want to. I don't want to do. Yeah, I do like eggs. So I cook my eggs pretty quickly on on like a medium high heat. Ah, um, usually, so you're you're an impatient man. 
sometimes it depends what I'm cooking. This weekend I'm gonna make um, uh, crock, not crock pot, uh, chicken pot pie from scratch. So I'm gonna Ooh. do all the crust myself and pretty much everything myself. And um, I'm really excited and throw in some carrots, mushrooms, celery, peas, corn, and some onions in there for my veggies. And then I think I'm gonna do a, uh, some chicken breasts, and then just mix everything up and do a mashed potato side. On there. Nice man, that sounds lovely. Yeah, I'm so excited. I'm so excited for it. chicken pot pie is one of my favorite things. <laughs> it's just it, even like just the cheap Marie Calendar ones you can just pop in the oven real quick and cook. Just like I just love that creamy flavor of the chicken and the peas and the carrots and like yeah, it's so good. Mm-hmm. It's great. Okay, so with that we should get on to our interesting show of the day. I actually am watching something. I'm excited for you to try to guess it. Oh boy. Oh, boy. And yeah, I'm excited, too. This will be my first episode doing it by myself in a while. So I'm yeah. feeling a little vulnerable about that. <laughs> These clues are hard, too. I want <laughs> I wanted to uh, no gimmies in this one. No gimmies in this one. Yeah, we're 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 now that you've, you've proven how good you can be at this. And we're going to revert back to uh, no like extra words on trying to explain clues for you and stuff. Sure, sure, sure. Um, that way we can. I want to keep it even, you know, but not like artificially. So, yeah, yeah, no, so. I totally get what you mean. And are we still going to have the rule? Because I kind of like the rule, which is you can trade out one guess for a clue. Yeah, like, I, if I like you can double or nothing, basically, where it's like, yes, you know, I agree. Put it all on I, the on one final guess. I love that. If we end up doing that today, it will take me a little second to think of another clue. But I can do that as you're thinking about other things. And okay. so um, I'll definitely there's. There's lots of different clues for this movie, um, so we'll go from there. Perfect. Anyways, so that kind of narrates down for you. That's a freebie for you because it's been so long. You're doing it by yourself. But let's get started. We're going to play What Am I Watching? And it involves Max guessing what I'm watching. And I actually am watching something. I don't just make up a show that uh, I pretend to be watching. And uh, he gets five clues. Five questions to narrow down to two guesses and two clues on top of that. And like he just kind of explained, he can switch out one guess for an additional clue and kind of just be like throw all of his eggs into that one guess. Mm -hmm. And uh, let's go as you're as as you will, my friend. All right. Is this movie a part of a franchise? I'm going to say that's a tough question. I'm going to say this movie, when it came out, was probably not intended to spawn anything additional, but there ended up being more properties to it after this that probably happened because of the film. But I wouldn't necessarily say it's absolutely part of a franchise. Okay. Does that kind of make sense? Yes, I get I get what you mean. And I think as we move, once we get to the end, we can discuss it in detail if I do or don't guess it. Um, but I get what you're saying. Yeah. Um, so my next question, I suppose, has got to be, is it live action? Uh, it is live action. Okay. Go ahead and give me a clue. Um, this movie is based on a sci-fi novel from 1959. I'm going to give you the author, too. Uh, 
it's possible you'll know this author because you know who it is. You're you're smiling. Should I give you the author or should I? Well, I mean, I don't know books in 1959 off the top of my head, so it wouldn't hurt. <laughs> but it, Robert, it also Robert Heinlein. Robert Heinlein. Yeah. Yeah, I love Heinlein. Um, but his stuff has not aged well. Um, there's a lot of chauvinism in his books. Um, okay. Okay. Um, was this movie made after 2000? It was not. Give me another clue. This movie spawned four sequels. Squeakles. It's not, not chipmunks. Four sequels. Most recently, the last sequel was released in 2017. And it also had one animated series that ran for eight episodes. What? <laughs> what? So what I'm trying to say, it's I don't necessarily think it's part of a franchise because you'll but get it. it. Spinoffs, right? Like there were spinoffs of this yeah, I mean, you'll get it. When I say what well, like, I think you'll get what I mean by this when it's not part of a franchise, because I don't know, you could say yes or no to that series pretty easily because the sequels, I don't think were really. They, they weren't I don't think sequels based upon like I think they were sequels based upon the movie, not upon anything that had to do with the book or anything like that. OK, OK. Um, so I know of two books of his that are very famous. He was a very prolific sci-fi writer. Um, but I know of two books of his that were very famous. Um, and one of them, to my knowledge, hasn't had a direct adaptation made of it. So I think I can go ahead and guess. You could probably guess. I, I was worried about I'll, the I'll, author. I'll, I'll ask. I'll ask. I have two more questions. I'll ask one. Um, does this movie contain giant Alien bugs. <laughs> yes, and there is an absolute reason that it's picked for today. Starship Troopers, baby. <laughs> yes, there you go. We have to figure out a way if you if you guess it without asking all your questions and maybe give you like a half point or something. Um, maybe maybe I can bank extra questions. How about that? Oh yeah, because I feel like extra hints are too powerful. I feel like extra guesses are too powerful. But I feel like banking an extra question, and it has to be used the next session or it goes away. How about yes. that? Yes, we'll start that next time. Okay, because I wasn't keeping track of your questions no, that, today. That, that's that's totally fine, and I think one extra question is all you can get, right? Yeah. So that way, that way you can't like get ridiculously overpowered if I happen right. to just guess wildly at the beginning. Yep. So. Great. Excellent. Max is now up 12 to 10. I'm loving Woo. this. This is good. Woo. I was worried about giving you the author, um, that knowing how much you read. I thought that was a bad choice, but yeah. uh, I stand by that decision. I am grateful for it because a sci-fi book from 1959 might not have gotten me there. Yeah. So, you know, we'll see. Maybe I'm too nice. And so definitely because Rob thinks I'm too nice for sure. He likes to see you lose. No, he's cutthroat. Um, yeah, he, he absolutely <laughs> wants me to fail. And I, I appreciate that. The last sequel to this movie was in 2017. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying, though? It's not necessarily a franchise because it's Starship Troopers. No, yeah, it is. Yeah, but I it kind of mean. is because there's more than one. So mm-hmm. I had a hard time answering that. That's a really good question. Um, I decided to watch this movie for a very specific reason. I wanted to watch something that was insect spider related. And I've already said this on the podcast once already. But because we're recording two episodes on back to back days, mm-hmm. um, 
I want to share this with you again. And so this is the last thing we'll talk about before we get into our topic, which we actually haven't shared yet today, but you should have caught it by the, the title. You should also stick around because it's worth sticking yeah, around for. It is absolutely worth sticking around for. The reason I'm watching Starship Troopers is because there is a little creature that has decided to crawl in between my backlight and my LCD panel and die and stay there. And what oh, I'm talking about is no. there's a little bug that is now a permanent fixture on my little screen that's a little spider and it's just i can't get it i have tried so many different ways of getting it out it is dead for sure i know it's dead i think when i turn my tv on the next morning it the backlight fried it to death yeah because it's kind of small it's a it's a very tiny spider um but it is very noticeable um if you're close and i i can actually let me send you a picture of it i would love photograph of this and, and maybe drop it on our uh Twitter page or Instagram page yeah, so that yeah, people yeah. can have a look at it too. And it's it's definitely dried out a little bit at this point. Um, looks a little it looks a little bit different now than it does in the photo I just sent you. Okay. Uh, and it's just he just died there. Like I How? can't. <laughs> it's not supposed to happen. This is not That's supposed funny. to happen. Like you're not supposed to be able to get bugs in between your backlight and your LCD. Like it's just. And, and it has it has dried a little bit and it has shrunken. Mm-hmm. So like when I'm sitting from my um my my, my bed watching TV, it kind of just looks like a, a little brown smudge on the TV. Right. So it's really not that bad. And it's on the very far right of the TV. It's probably like maybe an inch and a half, two inches from the edge. So it's like not in a very like part of like any sort of TV or movie or game that I'm gonna be watching, like a place I'll be looking all the time. Mm-hmm. I will get it fixed eventually. I tried to first um, take the back panel off and see if I could. Then I quickly realized that that was never going to work because I would have to remove the backlights to get in between. Right. And then I tried to um, take a my vibrating uh, uh, toothbrush and like put it on the screen because I heard that if you do that, it can shake it and like move it down and like it'll it'll like shake the the bug off of it and like mm-hmm. the vibrations will cause it to fall to the bottom. I tried that. That didn't work. I tried a tiny suction cup on the <laughs> to like separate the LCD panel from the backlight a little bit right. on the front of the TV and then vibrate it around it to see if that would fall out. And what I realized is that spider is stuck to the backlight. It's not stuck to uh, the LCD. And so that's not going to work. So I called the TV repair shop and asked them if they could fix it. And they can. It's just going to be like $85 to $100. So okay. it's whether or not it's going to be a fix it after I get a job kind of thing. Yeah. And for and now, just, you've just got a free little sticker on your TV. I know. And I'm thinking about naming it. I haven't decided. Maybe that's something <laughs> we can we can do today. We can name it and um, figure out what we wanted to have my little pet spider be. And I just felt compelled to watch something that had spiders in it. And here were other choices that I was thinking. Arachnophobia. Oh, yes. Um, uh, eight-legged freaks. Mm-hmm. And Starship Troopers were kind of like my three that, and I was just scrolling through Netflix to see which one was available, and Starship Troopers popped up. It's like that's the one I'm that's watching. It. Starship Troopers today. It's also a lot of fun. Like this movie is awful, but like also like super fun. Yeah, I think it's great. A lot of people yeah. didn't like it because it wasn't really true to the book much, um, but also like it. So the the presentation isn't exactly the same, but the central ideas are, and yeah. I think it's done in a very tongue in cheek, silly way. So yeah, I, I don't mind it at all. I know. I, I'm a fan. I, I I enjoy this movie quite a bit, actually. So yeah. same. Uh, there are a lot of people who are like, it's not realistic, and I'm like, the it's 
You're right. Yes, I know. Fighting giant space bugs is not realistic. Yeah, no, you got but it. You get to have just. And I kind of like the cast. They did a really good job of casting the movie for yes, they did. what kind of movie it's supposed to be. Yes, they you did. You know, you have people who are talented enough to be in feature films, but have that kind of, like you said, tongue in cheek, campy feel to all of them. Uh-huh. So it just kind of works really, really well. Agreed. Neil Patrick Harris is in this. Yes. Yes, and he is. It's so great. Yeah, it's it's wonderful. So, yeah, that's what I'm watching. I may even watch it again later tonight with the sound on so I can actually pay attention to it. But yeah, uh, it's it's funny. There's a lot of humor to it. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, awesome, dude. You're up by two. I'm so excited. This is going to be good. I almost watched Jurassic Park, um, but I think we've watched that before. I'm trying not to repeat anything. Oh, uh, um, yeah, that's a good call. And so I also thought maybe going like Lord of the Rings, but we've done that too many times, you know, and you can't use Shelob for everything. It's true. So. It's true. As, oh, as speaking m- of that, right before we get into our topic, which, by the way, I'm going to introduce now, um, we're going to talk about instincts and in, in kind of animal instincts, human instincts, and really the difference between the two. And we're not scientists at all in, in, <laughs> in the least amount. And because of me having obsession over Dragon Ball Z and having to prepare several hours for that uh, interview I did today, um, I didn't get to research this as much as I wanted to. And so I may do a follow up as this is how we were wrong kind of episode uh, on this eventually. But um, we're just going to kind of ballpark it is is what you may say. (laughs) So. The goal of the episode is essentially I have a couple lists up. I kind of want to go through essentially how are animals related to humans and their instincts, because I think that's really fascinating because we all know about the migration and those amazing things that they can do, like the monarch butterflies flying from Canada and northeastern the United States all the way down to Mexico every year. And somebody who can be born in one place just automatically knows to fly to the other one without having like any pre-collection of like what to do. Mm-hmm. Stuff is just incredible to me. Mm-hmm. And like the migra- like migrations of whales and, and elephants and just you know how like the maternal elephant can remember things and just instinctually know where to go for like different water it's it's incredible that kind of stuff to me is so fascinating um but i just kind of want to as we do here at infinite pulp you know look at something at a little bit lesser scientific value a little bit lesser quality than you probably would get other podcasts and and Mm. talk about you know what we want to do and that kind of stuff and how maybe animals have some instincts that are severely related to humans and are these instincts. And so mm-hmm. I'm kind of actually getting really excited to get into us. I was really worried about this topic about filling out an hour, but I think I think we can do it. We're already 25 minutes in. And if we can fill out an hour talking about Taco Bell, we can fill out an hour talking about instinct. Yeah, easily. Yeah, absolutely. So this is going to be really exciting. And so the last thing that I wanted to share with you before I left was um, two things, and they're actually one of them is related to the spider. I figured out why I don't like Shadow of Mordor. No, Shadow <laughs> of War. I like Shadow of Mordor. I don't like Shadow of War. I've fallen off of that game three times. I've tried to play it about three different times. That's and the always... sequel, right? That's the sequel. Yeah, I, it's on sale for like 80% off this weekend, so I may pick it up. It looks fantastic. Like, incredible. And the, it's so much, the action and the combat is really fun. Like, all that stuff I'm really into. The issue I'm having with it is, is I, you can hate me for this if you want to. I I just, at the point in my life where I care so much about Lord of the Rings, because I think it's one of my favorite film franchises. It's some of my favorite books to read. Mm -hmm. 
it's really difficult for me to be involved in a story that is such a departure from the established canon. The established canon. Where I felt Shadow of Mordor kind of like, yeah, this is kind of weird, but like we've done like, oh, this person in the shadows was kind of helping out the entire time. And I Mm -hmm. get that. Sauron's an incredible beast, you know, like he he may need to have some of these guys and like these things. So Shadow of Mordor made sense to me. It kind of fit in the canon. Within the first 10 minutes of Shadow of War, Shelob turns into a humid and you're like, what? What? <laughs> and so I'm like, it's just dragons are showing up in the, like the world and they don't have like the power. And like, it's just one of those things where I, I just can't can't bring myself to really sit down and enjoy the story part of it because it's such a departure from things. Yeah, yeah, I get that. Um, I totally get that. And then the last thing before we want to get into instincts is uh, I'm playing Yakuza Zero right now. And it's just wonderfully magical. It's incredible. It's just so nice. wacky and, and just wonderful. And it's it's just the way they introduce characters is incredible. And the mini games are so much fun. And all these little like I had to pretend to be somebody's boyfriend to fool the dad to like so he would like get off this girl's back about getting married and like trying to find a boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And the dad's sitting down with me after she goes to the bathroom like I know you're faking it, but like. Like, it kind of clearly sees to me that, like, if I'm pushing my daughter to this, maybe I should back off a little bit. Like, it's just mm-hmm. so wonderful. Uh, I don't know. It's just those. It's great. I encourage everyone, if you kind of are into kind of like wacky brawlers, Yakuza Zeros, absolutely. You should you should pick that up and check it out. Yeah, I heard great things about it when it came out. Yep. So that's it. Those are the games I'm playing, the movies I'm watching, everything else going on. Let's get into some some things we don't know anything about. I, so, I would love to talk about things I know nothing about. I'm very right. good at that. Well, we need to pause here for a second because what I totally forgot to do was give you guys the author's name of the article that we are using today. So I want to share that with you before we continued on with the podcast. Today's 10 Surprising Behaviors and Non-Human Animals comes from Kate Kirshner. So that's the author. We wanted to pay tribute to her because she's the one and the reason this podcast today exists. And um, that's it. So enjoy the rest of the show. Yeah. So I'm going to move you over here and I'm going to this up. Okay. Where do you want to start? Do you want to start with going through 10 Surprising Behaviors and Non-Human Animals? Yes. Or do you want to start creating a list of like, these are what we think animal instincts are? No, I think we're going to, I think, so we can talk about instinct. Um, let, let's define how we think of instinct first okay. and then go through the list. Um, yeah. And then we can talk about it like related to humans and some of the stuff that Perfect. we do as we feel like it relates yeah. to the behaviors of those animals. There's 10 of these things. We may just end up talking about this all day and doing a second episode <laughs> a few weeks from now about some different things. We may. Um, That's so definitely not out of the realm of possibility. So do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first about what you think about instincts are? Uh, what do you think? Well, you brought up the topic and this is a great idea. So tell me what you think instinct means. Yeah. So I've always been really fascinated with instincts because... I've never felt like humans have them because it's just it's because I've always felt that like we are cognizant of a lot of times why we are doing things. And to me, having an instinct is something that you are doing, but not necessarily understanding why you're doing that. You just do that thing, you know, like the migration tactics for that monarch butterfly. I don't know if they actually know why they have to migrate there for reproduction. And if that's the reason that they go down there or if something in their body just says, it's time, Mm -hmm. I have to do this. 
And so that's kind of where the fascination brought up for me was I've always felt that these things are just something that just like instinctually just they just know these things and they're born with the ability to do this. And there's so much evidence out there. I don't have any sources or anything, but I watch a lot of documentaries. You can trust me. Take Um, our word for it. (laughs) There are so many things out there that just have proof of animals from birth doing these wild things that you just they just do it. And so that's kind of why where I'm at with instincts where it's just something that's hardwired into your system that we quite don't quite actually understand yet fully where it it has an impact on behaviors of different things but we're not quite sure why that impact is there on those behaviors. Yeah. Yep, and I that's actually pretty close to my definition too. Um, I think humans do have instinct, though. Naturally, we disagree. Um, I, I do, too. I, I think they have instincts. I'm just confused by what we have. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I agree. And I think, honestly, sedentary lifestyles, like like civilization, as we built it, agricultural life that sort of stopped us being nomadic and, and put us into more civilized sort of, you know, sedentary lives, um, really kind of gave us the opportunity to not have to develop those. And so I'm sure that a lot of them have been lost to time. Um, but when I think about instinct, I think about, you know, I, I love like gritty noir detective stories. I mean, so I think about your gut, you know, like, mm, yeah, when you have a good feeling about somebody or you <laughs> you have an idea that you think is, is going to work out well for you or you, you take a risk knowing that, like, there's a chance you could fail. But, you know, the it's worth it because um, you like, even if it's the numbers are against you, you have a good feeling about the next role. Um, For me, instinct is, I don't want to say it's, it's gambling necessarily. Like I think some gamblers have instinct, which helps them win. Um, But I think gambling is more about math and, you know, numbers, which is why counting cards is such a thing. Let me proposition something to you kind of on that. Um, before I get to that, I want to do a quick tangent, quick side note on this. And if you guys want to experience more of human instincts, I think Max nailed it on the head about kind of like that gut feeling or, you know, just something inside of you, just like telling you this is kind of where it is. It may be wrong or right, but it's just kind of telling you that thing. You should check out the game Disco Elysium because that is just <laughs> rife with all of that. I want to tell you a short story. I started that game, created my own character. And part of your opening is getting dressed like you're just this drunk that wakes up in the hotel room and you have to get dressed. And I didn't roll my character to be very physical. I went with more like understanding humans and being intelligent kind of lowered my like ability to like perceive things and like be physical. Part of the opening game is you picking a tie off of a uh, off of a fan that's going and you can stop the fan. I had a 92 percent chance of rolling correctly and getting that tie off of that fan i failed and i died within the first five minutes of the game and game over the game just ends because i had a heart attack it's just it, oh man it's so it's just like exactly what you were kind of talking about like i'm like my and the, so it, for you who don't know disco Elysium is essentially an rpg but every single um trait that you have is an inner voice that you can either develop or not develop and you can either trust them or not trust them so it's a very instinctually based kind of game where like logic says yeah you can grab that that tie off the fan you got like a 90 percent chance you can do that 
and then you roll and you fail, and the guy's like, "Well, I didn't say you had a hundred percent chance." <laughs> like, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, like so. every time one of the one of the numbers that I remember when I was like wrestling with my fear of flying that developed over the last few years um, was like the, the the statistics around the safety of operating a motor vehicle and how much more dangerous it is to drive than it is to fly, and the notion that. Your your chances of having a, an accident in a in a car when you get in to drive are one in five thousand. One in five thousand. That is not terribly high. No, not at you all. Know? So like the fact that we're willing to gamble with odds like that on a daily basis, like, yeah, it's not at all surprising that I have a chance of failing picking up a tie. You know, I often fail at just walking into a room. I'll trip over my feet constantly. <laughs> so I'm not at yeah. all surprised that that sort of thing happens. Man, it happens to me all the time. I turn a corner and I don't realize how wide my shoulders are. And I yep. just like run yep. right into that corner yep. several times a week. <laughs> it's just like, well, I should have I should have looked at that a little more closely, maybe. <laughs> yeah. And I think for us, probably instinct is defined kind of by our knowledge of the fact that we don't have it. Right. Right. And so we recognize it in others. We recognize that we should have it. We understand the moments where instinct would help us and it's, it's noteworthy by its absence. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that was my little, just kind of brief, <laughs> just had to talk about how I died in Disco Elysium within the first 10 minutes of the game. Cause my guy <laughs> had a heart attack cause he picked a f- his tie off of a fan glorious it's awesome all right let's get into it 10 so this is this article is actually titled uh 10 surprising behaviors and non-humans we may take a little departure from instincts but that's going to be the fun of it is whether we can argue whether this is an instinct or not Mm -hmm. and so number 10 i have a beautiful picture of a chimpanzee right here and let me read the caption for you just like humans this chimp might be inclined to yawn if you saw a picture of a pal yawning and so the instinct they want to talk about or behavior is empathy, how mm-hmm. animals show empathy. And it's kind of really surprising. Let me read a little bit about it. Ever seen your dog yawn and realize you're a bit you're a bit tuckered out, too? Well, it might also work the other way around. Scientists have also seen that monkeys will yawn in an image of a buddy yawning, which I think is awesome. So empathy. Are we saying that's an instinct or not an instinct? A learned skill? Both. What are we what are we looking at here? So I think it's a lot like, um, I think it's both. I think, I think most of them are going to be both. I'm going to go out on a limb and say most of them are going to be both. Um, and you know, obviously the world is really black and white, but I think for this one, I think it's much more instinct than it is trainable. I think I know a lot of people who are more empathetic than others. And I know a lot of people who aren't empathetic and the people who are empathetic have I swear that their parents insist they've been that way for most of their lives. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, I think that's one of the things where you come more sort of pre-programmed to be one way or the other. Um, but I definitely think it's a skill you can develop. And I think it's something that, you know, you learn, especially from watching other people at an influential age. So I think um, having empathetic people around you growing up makes it a lot easier to develop empathy. Whereas if you, and that's kind of a duh statement, um, but I think it, by and large, empathy is definitely something that is born. I do. I actually I'm, I'm with you on that one because just I dated somebody a few years back who, who was very empathetic, kind of one of those physically empathetic person where yep. if they watch something on TV, somebody getting hurt, it physically hurts them a little bit. Yeah. You know, and I just don't have those bones in my body. I'm very non empathetic a lot of the times. And so that that caused a lot of 
intention. Um, but I do think you're on the nose where it can be learned to a certain extent, but I do think it's at that point where like, all right, this is just something kind of, you have it and, and sometimes you just don't. And a lot of times people who don't like, it's difficult for the other person to understand the other person because that's the only thing that they know how to feel. Right. And so it's really hard for non-empathic people to, to have that empathy for folks and say, you know, oh, yes. And it's difficult for empathetic people to look at it and say, why it feels like you're so unfeeling. And sometimes it's like, not that I don't care. I'm just not like feeling what you're feeling, but I still care about you. You know, mm-hmm. um, something you hear that I think is interesting that is towards the end of this little little paragraph that says this research implies um, even though empathy isn't always useful for a survival, it shows that kindness is a tool of natural selection that did win out in the long term. Yep. Which I think is really fascinating. That's um, super cool. Yeah, that's yeah. really empowering to hear. Yeah, it's it's just, you know, be kind to folks, you know, yeah. maybe we're going to have a little lesson at the, each one of these, you know, it's, I love it. You know, be kind, rewind. It's just, you know, it's just kind of. Yeah, I'm there. All right. Ooh, I like this one. It has a picture of a mouse with a bunch of like little giant cheeks and it says yeah. humor. That's actually a kangaroo rat. Those huge cheek pouches are good for taking food or nest materials back to a burrow. Are they good for a laughter too? So nobody has told us whether animals can be funny or not, right? From dogs tasting their trails, like anything else. But this is interesting. Research at the University of Washington discovered that rats make high-pitched ultrasonic chirpy noises. They initially weren't sure what it communicated, but a flash of inspiration led one scientist to, well, tickle his subjects. And indeed, it appeared that the the rats showed the same biological response as humans when confronted by the tickle monster peels <laughs> of giggles so this is another one that i think is really interesting because it is i don't never have ever thought that hum like humor or that kind of stuff would be an instinctual thing but really it, it kind of is knowing when to throw that line out there having that timing some people just have it and some people just don't and to find yep. out that it's connected with rats who also laugh when they get tickled just 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 tickles my funny bone to no end you know mm-hmm. like i don't know it's just more further examination of the fact that like we're sim- more similar to animals than we probably really think we are and they have emotions as well yeah yeah absolutely absolutely um yeah that was man <laughs> what do you think about humor is it is it um instinct do you think do you think you can learn humor oh yes 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 i do i think there are a lot of people who who have cultivated a sense of humor you know and i think a lot of it has to do with social reinforcement um that's one of those this may be one of the ones that i think is more um more learned than born bred interesting i Um, I may may disagree on that a little bit but i think a lot of it has to do with like positive reinforcement Right. So I think as people grow, as people develop, if they make jokes and people laugh at them, they'll be encouraged to do it more. I think if you make jokes and people don't laugh at you, like at a formative, you know, sort of vulnerable age, you won't. And so, like, I joke like crazy, but I don't think I'm funny because, like, my jokes are very specific and very niche. Right. And so there are there are a lot of times where my jokes won't land either because the reference is too obscure or specific or because I'm just being a little bit too weird. Um, and like, you, you know, you see in pop culture, it reflected often as sort of the, the awkward kid. Right. 
who like shows up and says uncomfortable stuff and causes those gaping silences in conversation um, where everyone's like, ah, that's bad. How do I, how do I, how do I dig <laughs> yeah. us out of this? You know? Um, and I think it's not, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but I do believe that I was reinforced that I'm not funny. And so I think, I don't think of myself as funny, but people will tell me, you make me laugh all the time. You tell jokes all the time. And it's like, but I don't think I'm funny. Right. And humor is like, I laugh like crazy. I'll laugh at all of the things. Like I get it. And I think a lot of that, all of that has come from watching what other people think is funny and like learning what is funny by both watching other people's responses to, to humor and also by watching people's responses to my humor or their, their lack of response yeah. thereof. You know, I think it's very much a social thing. I don't often laugh by myself. Like I, I sometimes will, like I'll sometimes <laughs> just get a little giddy and I'll go down the YouTube rabbit hole and find funny videos and just, you know, giggle like an idiot for like 10 or 15 minutes. Um, and in, in that case, I think it's very much necessary. You know, I think our bodies need a certain amount of laughter to kind of like release endorphins and to release tension and stress. Um, but by and large, I think for me, humor is a social thing. Humor is a product of social interaction, both both in its execution and in its learning. Yeah, I think I would I would want to kind of tap on that of what you just said of, um, you know, you think it's a learned thing and you don't think yourself as being a funny person, but you pay attention to what's funny. So what's stopping you from making that next step into being funny? Like if you can learn it. I would say it's probably more of an instinctual thing than at that point, because if you understand what's funny, but you still don't think you're funny, what's that barrier between those two different things? You know, right. like, is that right. the, the instinct part of it? Maybe I, I, I do remember the first time that you said that you weren't funny. And I was just like, I never even thought about you that way before. I have to reexamine mm-hmm. how I think about you. Are you funny or not? Mm-hmm. And I don't have an answer for that yet because you make me laugh. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's mostly because you understand most of my obscure yeah, niche references. That's, that's probably true. And, you know, I guess, like, there's a difference, I think, too, between being funny and having humor and understanding that and then making somebody, like, laugh or even laughing yourself. You know, yes, I just that's there's absolutely a, true. A sense of humor does not necessarily make you funny, I think. Yeah, there's there's a line in Good Morning Vietnam mm-hmm. that, like. Robin Williams looks at it and I'm paraphrasing hard here. It's just like, I, I understand that that's funny, mm-hmm. but but I'm not, I'm not laughing right now. You yeah. know, he's just like, I get it. I get where you're coming from, but it's not making like, it's not hitting me right now. You know, I'm laughing I was on the kind, inside. Yeah. I always kind of feel that way. Sometimes we're like, yeah, I can understand why that's a funny joke. I'm not laughing right now, but that's, that's good. And it's almost admiring the cleverness of something. Yeah. Um, I, I often in the same way as you, man, I don't laugh very often unless there's other people involved. You know, I t- tend to find watching comedies by myself is, is almost a lost cause. Mm-hmm. Um, except for Yakuza Zero. I cannot tell you how many times <laughs> I've laughed during that game just because of ridiculous things and like the ridiculous stuff that happens. I'm just like my partner records YouTube videos now. And she was recording one of her videos when I was in the room playing games and I had to turn off Yakuza because I couldn't like hold myself in from laughing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I can't ruin your video. I have to just like, is is great. Another endorsement of that game. Go play that game. It's freaking great. All right, yeah. let's get off of humor. This is not a sponsored video, by the way. 
No, absolutely not. Not yet. If it was sponsored, it'd be sponsored by, um, I don't know, Raid. <laughs> no. Um, the, uh, the ant killer. Because I have ants and I've had to spray that over my entire room. <laughs> so sad. Oh, man, this is a fun one. It has a picture of a crow on it. Could even be a raven. Knock, knock. And it is called Revenge and Grudges. You don't want that crow remembering your face. That's all the caption says. Mm-hmm. I'm going to read a little bit into this because I think it's interesting and it provides a little more. Um, crows are crazy, super smart. They're like really weird smart, although it's not hard to prove. Prove the super crazy weird through science. Researchers have at least been able to show that our onyx flying friends engage in super crazy weird smart behaviors. Example, recognizing the face that they hold a grudge for. I'm going to repeat that again because I think it's fascinating. Crows can recognize faces that they hold grudges for. So scientists at University of Washington had no idea what they were getting into when they started tapping for crows for research. They noticed birds began harassing them whenever they stepped out of the office, regardless of what clothes they were wearing. So they experimented by wearing different masks when they trapped the birds. It turns out when they would walk out on campus later wearing same masks, the birds once again wouldn't leave them alone. That's fascinating. And it makes the Hitchcock movie, The Birds, far more scary because they can remember you and they are going to attack you. So let's move that. That's surprising behaviors in, mo- in, in non-humans that are similar to humans. They have revenge. But what do we think about revenge and grudges? Are, are, are those, I think, I, do, I don't know if those are instinctual. I would call those almost an emotion. And are we tying that kind of emotion to instincts? I think, yeah. So revenge, from my understanding of psychology, revenge is anger at an action that is channeled in unhealthy ways. So if something bad happens and you're really upset about it and you were never taught proper coping mechanisms, you were not taught forgiveness, then revenge is the solution, right? Like I will hurt you like you hurt me. And there's that empathy component to it. Like even in revenge, like I want you to feel what I feel, right? Right. Like I want you to know what I've been through. Wow. Mind blown right now. Empathy can be negative. Yes. Can't always just be positive. That's crazy. That's that's why I can't watch cringy humor. Like I couldn't watch any of the office for years because like I couldn't make it through the second episode diversity day because it was so offensive that I was like, it hurt. It physically hurt me. I was like, I can't, I just can't do this. Wow. And empathy absolutely can hold you back and others back as well. Interesting. That's, Um, Negative reinforcement, man. Like you talk about cycles of pain and cycles of trauma in families. That's what it is. It's empathy. It's like I suffered. Let me show you what that feels like. And I don't think it's necessarily always conscious. Right. I think it's the human desire to have community, to have belonging. Right. Because fundamentally, we are pack animals. Right. We are social creatures. Mm -hmm. And so. um, Well, that way, I think you could absolutely tie revenge to instincts, you know, just kind of like. Yeah, I never even thought about it that way. That's crazy. But I don't think revenge itself is necessarily instinctive. I think no. I think anger is instinctive, and I think how we purpose it is is cultural. Yeah. Right? And so if you if you are taught revenge as a coping tool, then then you enact revenge. And if you are taught forgiveness as a coping tool, then you enact forgiveness. And I think that's pretty much what it is. Yep. Yes. Yes. And um, 
I, I'm still trying to cope with negative empathy right now, so I'm, I'm going to leave Revenge <laughs> and Grudges at that so I can wrap my head around. I don't want to have to wrap my head around it right now. Well, in the same way that, you know, ravens and crows can have negative memories, they can also have positive ones. Like, there's awesome stories of people, like, trading pennies to crows for, like, french fries and stuff. Right, right. You know, like, yeah. like taking care of crows, and then they have a, a friend for life. Yeah, you know? crows it's are like amazing. They, yeah. Those birds are like, awesome. Yeah, some of the more intelligent birds out there really are, really are capable of a lot of cool stuff. Yes. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, speaking of that kind of stuff, like pigeons and their honing ability and mm-hmm. that kind of like, that's the kind of instincts I always think of, you know? Yep. And, and, and it'd be so, I just want to sit down with the pigeon and be like, all right, so did you, did you just, just know how to get there? Did you learn like how, like how are we doing this? You know? Yeah. And it's, it's fascinating. This one, the next one up, I think is really interesting and, um, we could create an entire show on this. So I'm not going through those. So we're <laughs> going to touch it briefly because we have, we have six more after this to go. Um, but it's monogamy. And so mm-hmm. it's, um, let me read about this for a second. The sandhill cranes go together like Rama Lama Lama. That's all it says. I think it's funny. Uh, <laughs> you might have romantic ideas about monogamy in the animal kingdom, but the truth is that only about 5% of species are together forever. And forever is a relative because while they may be socially entwined with one another animal, the advent of genetic testing has taught us that they are, aren't entirely faithfully sexually to any of those animals. Um, and so that and I know that's kind of and I don't really want to get into the larger topic of it right now because that's a whole show if we want to touch on that. Um, but I know that's kind of creeping up more into human life as well about mm-hmm. where we're questioning whether or not the humans should be monogamous or not. And and going on that one. But this would be one of those things that I would really consider as an instinct. But it, it could also be something that I don't know. It's. I think you touched on it too with that human are packed animals and socialists, socialists are social creatures Mm -hmm. and their desire is to really find that ultimate acceptance. Right. And to me, that's a lot of times what monogamy ends up being is that ultimate acceptance of you for that other person or that other person accepting you. And it kind of like it really does fill a lot of that social aspect of goal, whether or not that's tied to anything else. Um, but what are your thoughts on that? Am I, am I totally off basis on this one? What do you think? So I think it ties into the need to belong for sure. Um, but I think by and large, it's a lot like empathy. So my answer for this one is virtually the same as empathy, which is, I think you have it or you don't, Mm -hmm. you know, I think you're born that way. I think it's programmed into you. I think you are who you are. And I think, I think by and large, you know, we're very, obviously we've got a long way to go, but we're, we're living into an age where people's and i mean I'm, i say that in, in the passive voice like it's not you know having to happen like people are needing to fight for their rights i don't want to undermine that by any stretch um equity is something that you know many groups are fighting for right now and i think it's really cool that we are making strides in positive directions because and talking about these things and like i think some people like I said, some people have and some people don't. And I think the only reason we run into trouble is we try to tell others how to be. Right. And I think exactly. that's, that's really where we run up against. It's like, just let people live their lives, man. Back off. Right. Yeah. And I think by and large, the, the monogamy systems of Western society helped to facilitate um, harmony because, you know, there's there's less um, conflict if if everyone just sort of keeps to themselves. But for me, that follows the line of like asceticism, which just says that you remove yourself from the world and you find peace. It's like, well, no kidding, because you have no conflict, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, wow, you so smart. 
Um, I, I think, honestly, I think asceticism is like one of the most fundamentally selfish ways of living. Um, just like I refuse to interact with the world. It's like, okay, <laughs> bye. Yeah. Bye. And I know some people need that and some people choose that and some people live very fulfilling lives that way and good for them. Um, but, and I think that, I guess that's the same thing, but I don't like it because it means I'm missing out on wonderful people in conversation and at the bar to hang out. Yeah. I mean, it's all, it's all how you're, you're, I don't know. I mean, with anything, it's all how you approach it. Right. You know, I don't know what, what the negative asceticism would be, but you know, it's a, yeah, if you want to do that and that's how you're happy, then I think it's the same, same as talking about monogamy and, and non-monogamy like if if that's something that you and everybody you're involved with has been agreeing upon then great like go for it i think you kind of hit it right on the head of uh the and and maybe this a behavior in itself is is an instinct in humans of that desire to wanting to belong to things and seeing something different from you and it makes you just you know, not understand. And without that understanding, you can harbor anger and, and hatefulness and kind of go down that path. Um, I, th- I think you can you can tie that a lot to to that instinct of, well, that person is different from me and they don't live the same lifestyle I live to. So instinctually, I just have to be opposed to that, you know, instead of opening up and having that conversation, and you know, just acceptance you know does that make sense yeah absolutely especially if if the difference the distinction that exists between two groups is because one group has and the other group doesn't right Right. like if if you've been taught your whole life that monogamy is the way and then you see someone in a polyamorous healthy relationship and you're like what i didn't know i could do that it's very easy to feel cheated to feel jealous and, and not even identify that that jealousy is there because you've been so conditioned to believe that monogamy is the way to be Right. Yeah, and, and I want to to point out with this conversation too is that um, you got to figure that out for yourself and then accept mm-hmm. it and stand by it. You yeah. know, it's like, a deeply I'm, personal decision. Yeah, I'm not saying that, and I think that that happens a lot. Is where where we we get well. Oh, is that maybe that's better? And I'm and maybe me thinking this way, I'm some sort of regressive or something like that. And it's really just kind of about figuring out. If it's for you or not, and, and something that you wanna you wanna have, and so it's very like Max said, very deeply personal, and and once you have that decision, be authentic about it and stand by it. And so yeah, and it's a spectrum too, right? Like so many things, yeah. it's it's not just like you are either poly or you are um, het, right? Like there are there are so many people who are um, asexual and are living their best lives that way and don't want to engage in romance at all. And that should be celebrated too. Like we should be celebrating each other for living authentically. And I say that hypocritically, even the ascetics, like if, if your best life is living in a yurt in the middle of nowhere with nobody around to bother you and I'm never going to see you again, but you're happy doing that. Love you. Miss you. See you later. You know? Yeah. It's, 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 it's framing your, framing your, your, your paradigm around, something that is for them different than it is for you right right it's the most simplistic form but the aesthetics of like you know if that's what makes you happy it's not necessarily you just giving up on the world it's you figuring out that this kind of lifestyle is what i want to have yep those can go hand in hand sometimes but to really just dive into oh this person's giving up on the world they're just going to remove themselves that may not be the case and so yeah yeah. all right man 
That was good. Let's get on the next one. Right on, wait. I have an interesting thought on this one that I want to share. Same-sex relationships. First off, let's get one thing straight. They had a little cough here. Animals gay or lesbian is a little silly. Usually when we talk about animals being gay or straight, we're talking about them engaging in homosexual acts, which in animals is interesting from an evolutionary perspective. But even more surprising might be the monogamous same-sex relationships animals engage in that may or not include sexual activity. I'm going to keep on reading this because I find this fascinating. For years, scientists studied albatrosses for their seeming, seemingly dedication to their sexual partner. But less than a decade ago, researchers were astonished to discover that nearly a third of the birds in one colony were actually female pairs. The male and females look alike, and scientists had only identified that birds stayed together forever, not necessarily that they were the same sex, or not the same sex. Protecting a nest and never questioned their sexes. Both male-female and female-female pairs exist, exhibited in the same kind of parenting duties and even affection. And keep in mind that some of these pairs had been together for more than 15 years. Um, this, to me, is just goes down to what we didn't talk about kind of a lot of the other ones. You know, this is just you're either born with that or you're not. And like Max mm -hmm. said, there's definitely a spectrum on a lot of this. Here's my one thought, Max, before you can share your thoughts on it and give it. I thought about this the other day, and this is kind of the things that I like to think about on my off time. Kind of do thought exercises of if we're thinking about humans in an evolutionary sense and the resources that have the planet, wouldn't it make more sense for them to have more same-sex couples to help out with adoption, to use you know, less resources because we're producing less people? As an evolutionary sense, that just kind of makes sense of the next step. Then to keep on producing over and over and over again and essentially depleting all of our resources. Does that make sense? What are you thinking about that? The face you're giving me. Say that one more time. Yeah. So here is something that I had an abstract thought of, right? So, and it boils down to a lot of people saying about, well, I think there are more homosexual gay folks around now than there were then, right? And Max shaking his head, he's not. You're, you're absolutely right. But my thought was, but what if we are progressing evolutionally, like as a species, to cope with the, the amount of lack of resources that the planet has? So we're not going to produce as much offspring because there are more homosexual couples than there would be if every single person was heterosexual. So I think, wow. I don't believe that, this. I'm just throwing uh, it out there. Yeah, no, that's that's a can of worms question. Um, and I think it, I think supposition like that is ultimately like, I don't know. I, I, I would rather not go there. Um, I think personally, I think like, cause you always hear the stories, right? About these best friends who lived together right? right all throughout history and it's like you know hom homosexuality has always been there and it's only more recently that people feel like they're more because these people feel less like they're going to be murdered right for for living happy fulfilling yes. lives yeah. right and so i think when we talk about the direction of the world there's absolutely statistical proof that Educated people produce less offspring than less educated people. 
Um, but you have to look at all the systems underlying all of that to really appreciate in, oh, the, in sure. the scope and the, and the context of everything, why that's happening. Um, right. Cause even like basic knowledge of birth control is like mm-hmm. not always taught in, in schools. And so like, if you're, if you're, you know, a part of groups that don't know that, then you're not going to be able to make those decisions. And I think there are many same sex couples that wish they could produce offspring together. And like, I don't think it's, it's any sort of intentional thing as a species. I think, I think what we have to decide, cause like adoption is its own can of worms too. Right. Because it's like, it's not good. Right. Adoption is like this really toxic, like multinational business of buying and selling babies. Like it's right. kind of messed up. Um, and we can go down that rabbit hole at some other point. Um, but like the notion, the notion of like, your your life is so terrible that rather than help fix the world that you were born into, I'm just going to take you away from it, right? And I'm going to make you an alien for the rest of your life in a land far away from where you come from. Like, that's just yeah. wild to me. Um, but in terms, of, in terms of monogamy and in terms of coupling, like, again, I think... I think it, it, I think it is instinctive. I think we know what mm-hmm. makes us happy and we know what fulfills yeah, us. Sure. And, and I think that when you talk about, like, the, the 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 purpose of these things in, in the grand scale of like the direction of his species, um, even language like that is sort of fundamentally Eurocentric because you're talking about like, you know, all the science that's been done has predominantly been done by Europeans, has predominantly sure. be, yep. been influenced and established by like, you know, Western minds. And so to and obviously i'm not saying all science is western but i think a lot of the language we use a lot of the methods we use a lot of the language we use like a lot of it is born of a lot of the explorers who cataloged this stuff and brought it back to europe and put it in books that now get put on shelves and like that's how education happened in a lot of the western world and those systems of language right are just like fundamentally um stilted Right. They, they're, they're biased. They've got their own editorial slant. Uh, and so when you talk about like even the language of this article where it's like scientists were shocked, it's like, what right. is that supposed to mean? Like, come yeah, on. like obviously some some ladybirds are going to love some ladybirds. That's delightful. So I think for me, it is instinct again. Mm-hmm. And I think I think there's a lot of other stuff that we can talk about in future episodes around that issue. Oh, for sure. Like, yeah. And I wanted to be clear that that's not that was a thought exercise. It's not like my beliefs or anything. It's just mm-hmm. like, I like throwing that kind of stuff out there to see what, you know, cause Max did a much better job of developing my thought into something succinct <laughs> rather than me just like, this is, this what I think. Here you go. Try to take it. You well, know? it's funny that you think it's succinct after I rambled about it for like 20 minutes. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so excellent. Um, I'm with you on that one too. You know, in a lot, I mean, we're going to agree on a lot of these, but the conversation is where I find the fun parts in this. And so, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And agreement is not necessarily a bad thing, but it is it is important to point out that we do agree about these things because it's important to remember that there are people who don't. Yes, right? absolutely. To be, able, to be able to have conversations with those people and be prepared 100%. to encounter those people. Yep. Right. Yep. Don't don't fill your life with echo chambers like it's fun to chat with people who agree with you, but you don't learn or grow a lot that way. Mm hmm. Well said. I like it. We're halfway through, man. Five more to go power through let's do it teaching these adult meerkats don't seem to be seizing the teaching moment and it's just a picture of them laying around chilling looking at the camera 
This one is tricky because most animals do learn and thus can be taught certain behaviors or activities, but what we're talking about is not just observation and imitation, but an animal activity trying to correct and intervene. So there's a study that shows that chimps, for instance, don't correct younger chimps who is incorrectly trying to crack a nut. Instead, the chimp must learn by trial and error. But there are a few examples of the animals actively showing method in teaching. One is the meerkat, a species that includes scorpions as part of their diet. And instead of teaching their young ones by letting them, you know, lose their hand or die from the scorpion, they bring back a dead or nearly dead scorpion for practice. And I think mm-hmm. cats do this too sometimes. Is that true? Where they they play with their animals with their young to kind of teach them a few mm-hmm. things? Yep. Um as the a lot pups of wild get, animals do that. Yeah. As, as the pups get bigger and rat racking up the fatalities, the parents bring back scorpions that get progressively livelier until the young ones are skilled enough to hunt themselves. Even more sly elephants who teach their kiddos, a young fertile female, might shy away from the advances of a strong bull, a mistake for both protection and procreation, and an older female will fake being fertile and cuddle up to the bull. The young female will see the error in, of her ways and approach the bull herself. I think that's pretty fascinating. I had never even considered teaching as part of maybe an instinct that people have. I mean, people want to be teachers, and those are the folks who move towards that. Um, that is definitely, I think, a skill that is something that there's an instinct to want to do it, but a skill to learn how to do it well. Yeah. Right? Yep, absolutely. Um, and, and the fact that meerkats bring back scorpions that are like progressively more livelier and more dangerous for their little cubs are so cool to me it's just Mm -hmm. like because you see a lot of these animals like they said as trial and error right the chimps are like you know you got to break find out how to we found we you know it's kind of like we figured out how to do it ourselves you got to figure out how to do it yourselves too which is kind of another way of teaching but you know more of a and i don't know i think that's kind of i never really even considered that kind of stuff but i do find that fascinating and and the animals have that cognitive ability to understand Mm -hmm. that this is a dangerous creature like somewhere they learned that that's not a good thing or was it just an instinct that they had always had that they are birth that this is just what you do? This is the weeds. I don't know. And that's why I think it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. It is fascinating. It is absolutely fascinating. And I think it's super cool to think about teaching as instinctive if it's perpetuated generationally for long enough. Right? Like if, if you teach, right? Because like I think about chimps being taught to use tools, right? Like Like chimpanzees teaching other chimpanzees to dip a stick in a tree to, to fish out termites. Right. You know, like, like that sort of teaching is not necessarily known at birth. Um, but it's perpetuated because you, it, it, it happens to you. And so you do it to the next generation. And so it becomes this almost ingrained behavior. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it's fascinating to, to understand, especially when you're thinking about things like danger and poison, when you don't have language to articulate a lot of these concepts, these sort of more abstract concepts, um, to be shown firsthand, like this will kill you. Um, so, you know, interact with it when it's barely alive reminds me a lot, honestly, of like immunizations, right? The notion that our body has to be shown this bad thing in a small barely threatening way so that it can learn to fend it off so that when it if the real thing comes full power they have the training and the skill to fight it off yeah and as we know meerkats existed in the world before immunizations did so Mm -hmm. obviously we learned how to immunize people from meerkats yep 
That's yeah, it. I think that's a, that's a healthy takeaway from this whole conversation. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm trying to say yeah, here. That's why we're here today. Go Meerkats, uh, go. <laughs> Timon would be proud. <laughs> um, yeah, I, that was probably one of my favorite ones I've seen so far is because I never really considered teaching. I think teaching is absolutely an instinct. You know, it's, it's whether you know whether you want to do it or not. I don't want to be a teacher. I don't want to be a coach. I have no desire to do that kind of stuff. But as we talked with Austin you know, a few episodes back about his desire to like in love of teaching in school and China and all of that stuff, you know, it's and like we're brothers and we have totally different instincts on what we want to do here. And so even within the same family group, we can have different styles. Yeah. And I think it's interesting too, to talk about the instincts, instincts within the context of like, can instincts be wrong? Right. Cause I've thought, I thought for a long time I had the instinct that I would be a good teacher and I've tried a number of times since, and it turns out I'm real bad at it. <laughs> I don't have the patience for it. So like, can instincts in fact be incorrect when you apply them? Yeah. I think just the fight or fight or flight instinct says that I think it like right there, that instinct shows that it can be incorrect because if your instinct is to fight everything and you come up with <laughs> something that you should not be fighting, you should probably run, but your instinct and pride may not allow that, you know, mm-hmm. like that's wrong. <laughs> like, and so, yeah. Interesting. Speaking of fighting or flying and the results of fighting instead of flying when you probably should have. Number four, funerals and grieving. It's the most solemn, just beautiful picture of a wolf right now that's just putting his head up howling because of a lost brother. Rather than howl with a group, wolves may be alone or wolves may bay alone after a death in in the park occurs wow that pack. is a death terrible sentence hold on rather than howl with the group wolves may bay alone after a death and the pack occurs which is really interesting so i'm going to read this for you because i think it's been fun reading all these for everybody an extraordinary study of animal behavior gave us a glimpse of how chimps react to death of a friend it actually um it's actually a really heartbreaking read the scientists detail the grief of the chimps and all the actions that take And it's not just wailing or gnashing of the teeth that might parallel both human and animal behavior. Chimps took part in what we probably consider quite natural activities of a human at death of a pal. That includes not being able to sleep, tossing and turning in bed the night after her death, and even avoiding the space the chimp died in. Mm -hmm. They even removed straw from the corpse to prepare the body. Researchers have also showed that wolves react differently as a group to death. For one... Scientists noted that they bayed alone and did not howl together after a death. Physically, their tails and heads were lowered and they moved slower without play. Elephants, too, are also known for grieving and have even shown evidence of paying homage to their dead by touching the corpse of another in a specific pattern. Hmm. Yeah, that's I think that kind of connects everybody. You know, we all have to go through death and, and, and the grieving aspects of that and kind of I don't know necessarily if humble's the right word but it definitely it, it kind of brings me a little bit at peace that humans are not the only ones that have these emotions and feelings for a part of their pack and that other animals out there have that instinct to to grieve and to understand the loss of a loved one that they have and I think that's really a fascinating thing especially like the chimps taking the straw off of the body and preparing it kind of for a funeral is really, really cool. Mm-hmm. This is exactly the same thing we do, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really know. I, I think 
this is just a shared experience among everybody. I think grieving and that kind of stuff. I don't necessarily know how much of it is based upon instincts. I mean, it can be maybe not by how you and I defined it, but like, it's just something that we all go through, you know? And it's whether you're attaching your emotions to instincts or not, I think. Yeah. And I think it ties back to empathy too. Like, you know, same with teaching. I think a lot of this ties back into the sort of innate concept of empathy and the idea that some people do and some people don't, and we all do it in different ways. And I think a lot of that is, is, is internal. I think a lot of that is very, very personal. I know a lot of people who grieve by crying. I know some people who grieve by celebrating and like laughing and just like, I know some people who grieve by like stonewalling and burying themselves in their work and like refusing to admit that anything is wrong. Like, and I think each of those is an instinct of self-preservation, right? I think each of those is born of the instinct to, to protect. And I think, um, protect the self to protect, you know, the sense of identity and the, the, the hallowedness of life, so to speak. Um, so I think, I think the instinct to grieve is not, it is, is instinctive. Grief is instinctive, but the way uh, but we do I, it again, how we choose to do it right. is very yeah. sort of as unique as the people who grieve. Yep. I'm with you right there on that one. Yeah. It's, 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 I have a hard time sometimes like attaching instincts to the emotion of the instinct that it has generated, you know, and, and you get the grieving emotion out of it however you decide to do that or however you have the ability to do that. Mm-hmm. But I never really thought about, well, it's the instinct. Like we all, you're right. Like we all have that, that desire to, to do that. You know, it's like pouring one out for your brother. You know, it's like you just, you want to celebrate that life in the way you want to do it or grieve or, you know, yeah, you're right. I like it. Okay, let's see what's next. This is a fun one. All right, fight or flight. It's not necessarily what this is, but this one is ingenious survival techniques. Mm-hmm. And you were talking about, you know, just that like um, the instinct to preserve life and survive. I think you may have mentioned in the last sentence, not sentence, you know, but your last explanation at some point. You you caught something there that I can't remember what it was, but it was just a <laughs> yes. That's what I'm talking about. The, I believe you. The 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 preservation of survival, I guess, is what we're looking at. Um, anyways, bonobos, which are monkeys, um, mm-hmm. may be diffusing a conflict right now. We hear a lot about the fight or flight instincts in humans and how it's linked to our animal instincts. But several species of animals have actually more sophisticated or at least more um, unusual behaviors when perceived in a threat. Consider the bonobo. When things get testy in bonobo communities, they they don't respond by lashing out aggressively. Instead, the apes diffuse the situation in another passionate way with sex. (laughs) (laughs) It's just the, have you ever had a fight? You know, it's one of the best ways to defuse that fight. Bonobos say it's with sex and it's not just the love they share. Bonobos seem to be altruistic creatures in general. They are more inclined to share with strangers than fight them for property or engage in sexual acts with bonobo pals of tempers flare. It's led to a life for the apes that some, they're apes, not monks, I'm sorry, that some humans might consider a near utopia for free love and peace. In another case, animals protecting themselves in creative ways. Gorillas in Rwanda were observed disabling snares set by poachers. Conservationists were surprised to see 
Yep, conservationists were surprised to see that the gorillas were able to recognize and disable the traps, but it seems that the gorilla had developed a quick, systematic way of destroying any threats they found. That is fascinating. And that's kind of what I was talking about. I mean, that's absolutely an instinct. I'm going to point that one right there. Fight or flight. You know how you diffuse something in your own culture is, I think, definitely an instinctual thing, but it can also be really contentious depending on what culture and background and like life you come from, because everyone's going to have that different way of doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think how you as a person diffuses your anger or deals with, you know, stress or anything like that, I think is very instinctual to yourself um, because you always talk about how people deal with stress differently. And, you know, sometimes they're learning it maybe from their parents or from their friends and how they dealt with stress. But I also think it's just kind of something in you. You know what's going to work and kind of make you feel better. Like some people like to be out in nature and it like revitalizes them, you know, Mm -hmm. like or go take a bath. You know, I diffuse stress by watching Dragon Ball Z for six hours. So, yeah. Interesting. I would argue that this instinct isn't really like happiness. I would argue that this instinct is is fear of conflict. Right. I think this is a very primal, very fundamental escapism where because I'm thinking about you're talking about like, you know, making yourself happy. And so often the way that people choose to do that can turn dangerous, right? Like when you talk about alcoholism, you talk about pills, right? There are so many negative ways that you can pursue momentary happiness at the sake of, you know, avoiding conflict. And I think a lot of what, you know, it's interesting and I would love to know, like I would love for scientists to study that, that response more deeply um, almost on like a, a, a personal level with the monkeys, because I wonder how much of that is a desire for resolution and mm-hmm. how much of that is a desire for escape. You know what I mean? Like how much of that is just we're not fighting because we can't be fighting because we're doing other things right now. Look at this. Right? Yeah. It's distraction. Right. It may not necessarily be resolution. It may not necessarily be placation. Right. You may not be saying, well, I'm going to I don't I feel bad, so I'm going to feel good. Right. And and I think that that's the instinct that we're talking about here, which is the, the okay. fear of uh, the fear of conflict. Right. The okay, fear right. of tension. Right. Because yeah. it talks about like and obviously with the gorillas, it's the fear of harm. Right. Because they know these traps are dangerous. So I, yeah, think, I think the the self-preservation instinct is very real. And I think people will employ that self-preservation technique in various ways. And I think it's it's multifaceted and, you know, very, very capable of good and very capable of bad. Mm-hmm. I think I which was, is a boring answer, but I think, no, it's I don't think it's necessarily a boring answer. I think I think my answer, too, was on a separate topic than than the fear of conflict and self-preserving yourself because of the fear of harm. Like, this is not really what I was talking about five minutes ago. Well, when I but when I when I hear you, you know, when we talk about the bonobos and we talk about the gorillas i don't think it's an instinct to i think it's a different instinct right i think it's important to identify what the instinct is there yeah this is this is yeah because that's i think you, you kind of hit it right there is 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 in the a deeper study where b is your is your instinct going to be like this is how they resolve the conflict and it works this is like their process mm-hmm. Or is their instinct to, you're right, we escapism, you know, like right. we're doing this and not other things because 
We you don't can't. know enough about bonobo culture. Just because just because they right. they have conflict and then have sex doesn't mean that you know tensions aren't simmering below the surface. Yeah, right? absolutely. Like there's, there's a lot of outside scientists who would look at a city, a human city, and go, "Everyone's happy because no one's you know not everybody is you know murdering each other." And it's <laughs> right. like, well, well. No, no, you're you're absolutely right, and the um, yeah, to me this is this is always a fascinating thing for folks is just the. Just like the fight or flight kind of instinct in humans of and having that understanding of of where where you fall on that line, you know, and yeah. like I'm a flight person. Yeah. I know it. I'm not going to I'm not going to fight if I don't have to. If I if I have to fight. Yep. Sure. Let's do it. But like if I can get away with it. I'm, I'm going to go, you know, like to me. But I, but I think a lot of that is cultural, too. Right. I think many of us are conditioned not to fight. Right. right. Like we're taught, like diffuse the situation, talk about it, go for help. Like in, I'm thinking about it as a kid yeah. in school, it's like find an adult. Right. Like there are all these ways that it's reinforced for us not to fight. And so, well, it would be really interesting then to do cross-cultural studies on that to, to yep. determine whether or not it's a baseline or whether or not like there's any sort of consistency in that at all. Yeah, absolutely. What's next? I know we're getting there, man. We got two left. Procrastination. That's why I didn't start studying for my interview until this morning. What? Um, you'd think that animals would have an instant gratification mandate that would make them pretty willing to do whatever they needed to accomplish the goal right then. But like any human, it seems that some of them would rather put off what could be done now for what could also be done tomorrow. <laughs> what is today but yesterday's tomorrow? Hashtag Mr. Krabs. Um, and which advanced intellectual species showed the same aptitude that humans have when they decided they wanted to wait until Sunday night to fight a, finish a paper term on Anna Karenia? <laughs> <laughs> it's our special Just... friend, the pigeon, which we talked about earlier a little bit. Animals so stupid, their words, not mine. It gets hit by slow moving cars while hanging out in the middle of the street. The pigeon shares our human habit to think about it tomorrow. <laughs> oh, it's great. Um, where do you where do you fall on the line, man? Between procrastination, are, are you more of a let's just get it done right now? Are you putting it off? Are you kind of a healthy medium? Where are you at with that? I, yeah, it really depends on the project, and it really depends on where I am in my life. So I've gone through periods where I've been super super on the ball, and I've gone through periods where I've been heavy procrastination. Yep. And I think a lot of it has to do with the perceived discomfort of whatever it is I'm doing. Right. So if it's something I yep. know, it's something I'm good at, it's something I can knock out pretty effectively, I'll just sit down and knock it out so I can have it done. Um, but I think the newness of an issue, the, um, the, the sort of potential for it to feel in, imposing and, and stressful uh, will often lead me to put it off. And so I think when we talk about the instinct to procrastinate, I think what we're talking about is the instinct to... Um, to comfort yeah again right no, and so it's I'm, like so i think my instinct is is by and large to comfort and if i'm comfortable doing the thing i'll do the thing and if i'm not comfortable doing the thing then i'll put it off yep i actually could not agree more i think i agree with you on this one more than any other one like that is something that just hits me right in the bones it's <laughs> it's it's i will absolutely gravitate towards what is comfortable for me rather than what is uncomfortable and procrastination has absolutely a lot to do with that you know mm-hmm. it's like last night you know i was exhausted after eating taco bell all day and i was just like you know i really should i should be studying for my podcast tomorrow and i should be studying for my amazon interview and what happens i 
I, I studied a little bit and then turned on Dragon Ball Z and I, I got caught up in it. And then when I should have, and we can get to this next one because it has a lot to do with what happened last night too. And I think these two fall in line with each other a lot of times. <laughs> um, it, it's just, it was comfortable for me to stay in that zone and knowing the fact that I was going to get up at seven this morning and just work on an, and my interview stuff all day until my interview happens. You know, like I knew mm-hmm. I could have that ability to do that. And I think humans a lot of times, and maybe you can speak on this if you want, but I think there's some trickiness that goes along with procrastination of the the thought process that you're going to work better if you have a smaller deadline than you would have if you had a larger deadline. Have you done any research on that? Do you know if that has any validity to it at all? What do you think about that process? I don't know how broadly applicable it is, but I know many people operate better on a deadline than without one. Mm-hmm. And I think many people, like, especially when you talk about writing and the intimidation factor of the blank page, right? The notion of creating your own stuff. Artists regularly report that they have better success if they're given a framework within which to work. And that sort of like helps at least make the decision about what they're going to eat, right? And so, like, I feel like I experience this in my relationship a lot when we're talking about dinner. Like, what do you want for dinner? And the other person goes, I don't know. And so what we do is look, one person will narrow it down to two things and then the other person can decide. And that way the, the intimidation factor of just everything is, is gone. You know, it's like that whole, like looking at the forest instead of the trees situation. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of right there too. It's, it's, it, it's a tough one for me. I mean, I kind of think that a lot of times you, you perform better because you have to, you know, like you just, you have to get it done. So you're going to get it done, you know? And like, rather than, uh, yeah, I always, it's an interesting thing too, for me, because I feel so good when I complete something like three weeks in advance compared to completing it like two hours before it's supposed to be done. Yep. Like I feel way better about it when I do it that way, but, but it's, it's just, I keep on doing it. You know, (laughs) it's definitely a goal that I need to set myself to procrastinate less for sure. Well, I would, I always point out too, like, you know, there's that quote that says something like, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't keep procrastinating if it hadn't worked for me so well. (laughs) Yes. Right. Right. Like if you would, and I feel like that's a lot of, that's a lot of like instinct too, is like the instinct to be comfortable where you can like. You can prolong comfort as long as possible because you know you know the you have been trained you've trained yourself to know the circumstances under which you need to work right, right. and for some people it's either like pull an all nighter for other people it's like spend two weeks studying flashcards and it's like but ultimately both are the same which is self preservation and knowing under which method you work best yes all right this is something that. You and I have talked about quite a bit, and I would pose the question again to you. This was a a road trip topic that um, we spent probably a couple hours on when we were driving. <laughs> I remember, I think we were in Arizona or east of California when we were having this discussion. Self-control. Uh, what a topic. Yeah, I know. This, this is a cute little picture of a dog just staring at me through glasses. In front of him is a little dog treat. Mm-hmm. We assume... We assume, I don't know where that came from. We humans can often assume huh. that what sets us apart from animals is our regular, our regal ability to possess self-control and resist temptation to achieve what is good for us. But turns out we're not above it all as we'd like to think, or at least at the very least, we have a fair amount of company above it all. <laughs> yeah. Studies conducted on chimps have shown that they can delay reaching for a serving of sweets placed in front of them 
They also found that chimps would use toys, pictures, and objects to distract them from reaching. Just like humans who flip through a magazine to sidetrack themselves from the last slice of cake in the kitchen, perhaps. Dogs have also demonstrated their inner self-control functions in a similar way to humans, specifically that glucose helps them exert self-control. So next time you're taking Fido to for a restrained walk or watching bulls parent together or getting the stink eye from a crow, remember that their behavior might be instinctual or primitive, but it sure isn't solely animal. That stuff has nothing to do with self-control. That's just an end to the, to the whole article in general. Right, right, right. So, yeah, it's definitely something that I think can be learned, but it is way more difficult for some people than it is for others. Mm -hmm. Like, and I think that's the inspect, the instinctual aspect of it, you know? Absolutely. We have talked before and argued about what self-control really is. Um, I has told you that my self-control happens at the grocery store when I don't buy something. And (laughs) self-control for you happens by only eating one Oreo versus 10. But you still bought the item. You know, whereas I yeah. cannot buy the item and only eat one Oreo, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, I, that's just kind of my thoughts on on a lot of this is self-control really, really dives down to, yes, I do think this is absolutely instinctual. I But I think it can be learned a lot. But, yeah, it's way, way more difficult for some folks than it is for others. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I absolutely agree with that. And I think, I think when we, so like, I go back to instinct again, like if, if this conversation is about instinct and sort of knee jerk reactions and you talk about self-control, um, I think you're talking about the, the, the pleasure instinct, right? The instinct for pleasure. And, and if in, in a lot of the ways, you know, it's, it's very Freudian, the conversation we've had today where we're talking about fear and we're talking about pleasure as mostly the primary motivators, (laughs) Right. Um, acceptance, all that sort of basic social science stuff. Um, and I think pleasure, uh, like a lot of, like everything else we've talked about, can be enjoyable when you allow yourself to have it and can be enjoyable by putting it off. And I am very much one of those humans who loves delayed gratification. <laughs> like I, I will, I will eat the heck out of some Oreos because I love them. But I will also love knowing that there is an Oreo there that I can go have when I want it. And just the knowledge of like knowing that I have it in the house and I can have it if I want it helps me moderate myself because I I, I don't have to feel like it's like, I feel like that's a big reason that I get kind of um, impulsive about fast food. It's because I don't have it in the house. You know what I mean? It's like I have to it's a thing I have to go get. It's a thing I can't just like prepare myself or have in my pantry. And so I think that that um, what's what's it, what is it called? Um, the absence of the thing the scarcity drives oh, yeah, demand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. And so by by not having access to these things, I think that I want them more. Whereas if I've got them in the pantry and they're there, I can go. I don't actually want it right now, but I can't have it when I do. Right. And so it, it, I think a lot of that is the instinct to to um, hoard the instinct to preserve the instinct to sort of keep yourself kept, basically, to keep the things you need to keep yourself happy. Yeah. And, and you could we could go so much further in, into that, into a like how you were raised and, and what was allowed in the house and what wasn't mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. Um, I I struggle with this man a lot if if. I was just talking to, 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 to Brianna the other day and, you know, 
one of my favorite snack foods, and I'll admit it, Lunchables. I love it. I mm-hmm. love those little cheese and crackers. They're so good to me. I don't, especially the ham and Swiss. Oh, it's so great. Um, there are so many deals at the grocery store where you get like one, you get like ten Lunchables for a dollar each. Wow. And it's like you can pay them at Seven Eleven. The three nineteen. I know there's three nineteen at Seven Eleven. They're about two twenty nine at the dollar at the Target. Um, and for a dollar each for ten of them, I I did that once. Once I ate. Uh-huh. All of them in the same day. Wow! All of them. I ate wow. all ten of them. I, it's just, it's just for me knowing it's there and wanting it. Uh, okay, I'm gonna go get it. Yeah. You know. And it was just like, well, I, I either, I either can eat this now or I can eat it tonight at eight. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm going to eat it today, so I might as well just eat it all right now because you know. Yep. Uh, but I totally get the like, you know, delayed gratification part of it and that kind of stuff. It's just, I don't know. It's just, not, I just. It's like last night, man. I ate Taco Bell. I ate a lot of Taco Bell yesterday um, <laughs> during our podcast. And I just wanted something that wasn't heavy meat and beans in my in my like body. I had mm-hmm. eaten so unhealthy, but I just wanted something that was bright and chewy. So I went and got myself um, bags of uh, gummies from 7-Eleven yep. at 7.30 at night. And I shouldn't have. I was not hungry. I was so full. But it was just one of those things where, like, I just feel like this is something I need right now, and I'm just going to go get it. Competitive eaters call that flavor fatigue. Yeah. Where you just want something different. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, you know, I just, like, it's like when I wake up in the morning sometimes after I drank a little bit the night before. I'm like, you know what I want right now? Mm -hmm. Water and, like, lemonade. You know, just something that's just a Mm -hmm. little bit different than what I've been, you know, ingesting. So, yeah. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to ask you the question again one more time, though, because um, we've had this conversation, but our listeners haven't. Um, Do you believe that not buying Oreos at the store is self-control? Less so, but yes. And so I I will I will caveat. So, yes, I believe it is self-control. I do not believe it is the highest form of self-control because I think. I think the highest form of self, if that's what you need to do to not eat Oreos, like to not eat the whole bag of Oreos is just not buy them, then don't buy Oreos, right? Like, you know you better than I do, right? So obviously this is not prescriptive, but for me in my life, I have gone through periods where I didn't buy Oreos or in this case, this week it was Chips Ahoy, right? And I didn't buy those things. And then I really want those things and I really want those things. And so a month later, when I do finally buy them, I eat half the bag in one sitting. Right. And so what winds up happening is this like this craving builds and builds and builds until the dam breaks. Right. So for me, um, it's a higher form of self-control to have them in the house and only have one or two. I agree. Because I hear a lot of people say like I hear a lot of people say, well, I can't I just can't buy Oreos or I'll eat the whole box. And it's like so you're not actually exercising self-control by buying the Oreos. You're preventing yourself from having to make yourself have self-control. Yeah. Yeah. I get that argument, too. I do think. I think there's that that that's different stages of self-control, right? Mm-hmm. Like you could have a purchasing self-control. Well, that's where I'm at. Where like I have I, I don't need to buy it. I know if I buy it, I'm gonna have a lot more than I should have in one sitting. So in order for me to do that, I just don't purchase it. Cheese, yeah. on the one hand. I don't buy bricks of cheese very often because I will eat lights, lots and lots of cheese in one sitting if I give that opportunity to. It's mm-hmm. just the 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 removal of something for me is way more beneficial for my psyche and my ability to do something than the having it in the house and 
Because the, the craving for me doesn't go away. And I think that's part of the issue where I'll eat a bag of Oreos and then the next day I'll be like, well, I kind of want some more Oreos. So I'll go and buy <laughs> another bag of Oreos. So yeah. if I just remove the chance of having that craving and I, I deal with the craving and squashing that, um, even when I'm at the house of like, hey, I, I really crave this right now, but I don't have it. And so <laughs> I have to deal with the fact that I don't have this and work through those emotions rather than working through I have these things and I don't and I know I shouldn't be eating them. Yeah. But I'm with you. I, I do think it's a little I was just trying to get you to admit that it is somewhat of self-control, uh, even though to a lesser degree. And that <laughs> makes and that makes me happy. Um, all right. We are like an hour and 40 minutes into this. Almost. We started this podcast like an hour, like five minutes into us actually recording something. So this yeah. has been a pretty, you know, and to be fair, um, to get to keep this kind of fun for both of us, I actually didn't look at this list at all before I started into this. So these were surprises to me every single time. Fun. And I thought that was really fun and I had a great time. And so do you have any final words, anything that you would like to share with the audience before we uh, say adieu to everyone? I think, well, I think we've talked a lot about instinct and we talked a lot about needs and, and you know, various ways of living. And I, I think it's really important to reinforce, you know, you do you. Like live your life, make yourself happy because life is short and you don't have a lot of time to do it. So like do what you got to do for you and, you know, other people will do what they got to do for them and just try to be supportive of each other on the journeys and listen when people say they want to be supported in different ways. You know, I love that. I'm going to let the podcast end right there. We're not even going to share where we can find anybody. We're just going to end it. We'll be back next week with all of our socials and all that kind of stuff. But right now, we're just going to say, have a great rest of your day. And um, yeah, enjoy. Be safe, everybody. Love you. Yeah. Love you.